History Makers with Matt Prater. Coming off of drugs, you're going to have emotional problems, but I kept chasing after God. And he's using this vehicle to bring people out of the dark into the light. And I went forward and I knelt at the front, and it was a radical conversion experience. And that's where the big change happened, and that's where we decided we're going to use our music for God, we're going to change our songs. When I was about 25 year old, I was uh, busted and into jail, and it was there that I came to the Lord. History Makers with Matt Prater. Hi and welcome to History Makers. I'm Matt Prater. Today we're speaking with my good friend Pastor Chris Bowman from Mercy International Ministries. How you doing, brother? I'm doing really well, thank you. Now I would love to find out a bit of your background. Uh, tell us where you were born and raised. Well, I was born and raised in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. I spent about the first 21 years of my life there. Okay, and what was family life like for you? Was it a religious upbringing? Uh, yeah, it was a, 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 I'd say a nominally Christian home. I went to one of the more um, traditional liturgical churches, mm-hmm. uh, but my mother particularly really did believe, and my grandfather uh, was an elder at uh, our church. Again, more traditional conservative, but a true Christian. And did you, you know, go to Sunday school or youth group or anything like that as a young fellow? We didn't have Sunday school in our church. Um, we, we all went to the Sunday morning service. All the adults and kids went together, you know, and we did have a youth group for a while, but it was, wasn't very spiritual. It was more like football and table tennis and stuff. And tell us a bit about your faith journey. Did you have a conversion experience at a young age or how did you come yeah, to Christ? Yes, yes, I did. Um, I was disillusioned by, I won't go into too many details, but there were some domestic uh, uh, strife in my family, so I was very disillusioned with life in general, especially thinking I would, didn't want to grow up just to be like the older people around me. Of course, I'm a bit older, so that was a bit in the searching, you know, hippie, Vietnam era. So there was that searching for Christ, and I looked in Hinduism. I did read the books there, you know, Bhagavad Gita and you know, Simad Bhagavatam and all those, and I started meditating. I had some bad spiritual experiences when I was meditating, I believe I actually had a contact with demon, but so I, I went away from spiritual things after that. But in my heart, I still really believed and I wanted to know God. So one day on the street, I met an old friend who, um, I was only 16 at the time, but she said to me, do you know that you can know Jesus personally? And I, I said, you know, if I can, I want to. And so I went along to a house meeting, there may have been no more than 30 people there. As soon as the pastor was saying, well, virtually what I knew from the Apostles' Creed, Jesus, Jesus died and ascended into hell and rose again. But I could see him acting it out. I felt like I could see Jesus, you know. And so when he gave what we now call the altar call to come forward for prayer and ask if I had any problems, I said, yeah, I want to give up smoking. I was 16 years old, I want to give up smoking. <laughs> so I came forward and I, that's all I said. And he, he said, oh, we have a brother here called Chris and uh, he, he wants prayer. Everyone started praying for me and... You know, it wasn't a format or a liturgical thing like I'd been used to in church, but I felt love. I felt like he's calling me brother. He'd never seen me before. All these people I don't know are praying for me. When he lay hands on me, I felt flushed with warmth. That's the only way I could describe it, and absolutely overwhelmed with love. I didn't you know, respect my father for various reasons because of the domestic strife, but when I came home that night, I just felt love, and I told my testimony to my parents and my grandfather, and my dear brethren, elder grandfather said, Chris, this is the day I've been living for. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? So the rest, as they say, is history, brother. I read the whole Gospel of John that night, and I had you know, sort of a charismatic experience with God that no one 
and told me about it was just from his Holy Spirit. And tell us how your life was transformed after that. Oh, well, for one, when I, when I do present the gospel like, you know, EE style before and after, I could say I was definitely lost. I was, I, in two words, I was confused and without purpose. And after coming to Christ, I, I found peace and I found purpose. And honestly, I've never looked back. I feel like, Peter, where would I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so I started serving with ministry. There we would go out witnessing on the street every Saturday night. So I just tagged along a little lamb and I learned how to witness. And, you know, soon people were coming on the street and that little house meeting grew into a church of 300 people. So it was very much a, a revival in, in the sense of, for us at least. And tell us what and, were you um, doing for work at the time? Uh, I was on and off between high school and working. I was working with the Defence Department for a while, not as a, a soldier, but as a clerical assistant. So, you know, filing, filing stuff, very boring work. Then I, I, I went later to help an American church planter in Sydney. And uh, then I took over his church plant. And it was just before I moved to Thailand. So you really started pastoring at, at what age? Um, pastoring a church... Let's see, uh, 18, 19, 20, I'm about 20, 21 years old. Wow. So yeah, in Sydney. Just mm. Fresh in the faith, and you start yeah. preaching and teaching and pastoring people. Yeah. Uh, did you, yeah. you know, do study? Did you, did you get trained and equipped well? Or? I, I would say my pastor um, was a really good balance between, you know, uh, the evangel and the charisma. And so he, he taught, we went to church five days a week, and most of my teaching I got from him, and I realized at this stage that although I was exposed to a lot later on, his teaching was correct and really grounded me in the faith. I couldn't fault him on anything, mm. his passion and his teaching. And uh, he'd been a missionary in New Guinea. He'd seen the dead raised, and, and so I sort of had that in my DNA from the word go. I knew that I was born and born again for a purpose, and it wasn't just to live until I got old and gray. And tell us about your move to Thailand. What, why did you head over there? Well, when, when shepherding the house church in Sydney, uh, we were seeing people come to Christ here, but um, the call of the mission field was really uh, great. I had a pledge with God. I'd send money to everyone that, that um, you know, sent me a, a prayer letter, a newsletter, and I did. And we'd send um, all our collection to missions. We'd send 30 40% of our income to missions and then $10 for every single and $20 for every couple that would write to us. But that was long time ago, so that would be exponentially more valuable today, I would suppose. It'd be like sitting 100 and 200. But um, so I got the tag, particularly from Thailand. I had people ministering to prostitutes and, and heroin addicts in Bangkok. And it was, it was a sort of a tie up between whether I should go to the Philippines, Indonesia, or Thailand. And I wanted to go to the Philippines, but that fell through. And so I, I went to Thailand and I never looked back. I, t I bought a one-way ticket. Um, my mother sponsored it, of all things, and um, she really supported. She had, she had wanted me to become a priest, and she knew that this was the call of God. I was being the priest of God's choosing. And so I never looked back. I went to Thailand and ministered. I, I picked up Thai in a short time. I memorized in Thai. That's how I got it. I started memorizing Bible verses in Thai. And I put an alphabet on the back of my door, and everyone who came to my house would have to read it to me before we went any further. Oh, that's wonderful. how I practiced time. 
<laughs> Wonderful. Well, I've had the privilege mm. of, of visiting uh, Chiang Rai in Thailand. I visited yeah. Uh, yeah. A, a church there and a, uh, a great ministry called Destiny Rescue, which rescues children from slavery and yeah. uh, helps them uh, get into a safe place. And, you know, incredible ministry. Yeah. And we know there's a lot of, uh, a lot of problems in that nation. Is, did, did you yeah. see a move of God? What, what was your ministry like there? A lot of it was evangelistic. We would go around. A lot of tract evangelistic are kind of like um, more like what uh, Dick Eastman does with Every Home for Christ, that kind of thing. We'd be going around door to door and shop to shop in all over Thailand, distributing literature and bringing people to Christ. And we would start small Bible study groups and things like that. But uh, we were not working with an indigenous Thai church, which I am now. And I think it's just a lot more effective uh, working with an indigenous Thai uh, evangelical church, which is what we do now, um, with the medical missions I'm involved with. Well, tell us a bit about those. I know you've uh, had many incredible trips into many nations with these medical trips. Tell us yeah. what you do. A little bit of background of this. I, I went to China after being in Thailand for 15 years. I went to China with my wife and kids, and I started working there. While working there, I met a lady who was outreaching to North Korea. So I've been into North Korea nine times, a different story, but about the medical mission. So doing the medical missions in China, I learned how to do it. And so after the tsunami, I connected with a friend I known in, in, in China and who is a doctor. And I said, look, I've talked to the health bureau in this particular area called Corabori, and um, they would like us to do medical clinics. And he was all set to do a medical clinic in Cambodia and it fell through. So he's like, Chris, I got all the stuff. I got all the gear, let's go. And it was quite an amazing set of events. If I'll just share with you about the first one. We went to the health bureau like 3.30 p.m. They closed at 4. The guy was on the way out the door. We said, look, where we want to do the medical clinic has fallen through because the princess is visiting, so all the government officials have to come out and give her honor. Could we do a clinic here tomorrow? And he said, sure. This is 3.30, and things like this just don't happen. So we said, how are you going to get the word out? He said, oh, I'll go to the radio station. I'll go to the radio station straight now and tell them you're coming. This was a miraculous set of events. This is 3.30 one day, and we're going to start the clinic 8 a.m. the next day. Wow. Next day, we, we set up and ran clinic in three different locations. Then a couple of people got saved. We were just a three-man team. There was the doctor. I'd translate for the doctor, and then they'd go and see the pastor who would give them salvation in the pharmacy. We've streamlined that process now. We generally have two to three doctors coming, and the people who see the doctor when they're waiting for the medicine, they get a one-on-one -on -one with a Thai church member. Often up to 100 people come to Christ each day, which would be 30 to 50% of the people who are coming to the clinic. And um, they're not just numbers, as you know. Uh, we've seen people, the lame have walked, the deaf have heard, and the blind have seen. The poor have the gospel preached to them. And many new churches start through this ministry. Um, we also have an eyeglass component. The people who are seeing the eyeglasses, they, they receive the gospel first. Otherwise, they put glasses in their pocket and go home. And um, so between the eyeglasses, the, the doctor, the personal counseling, sometimes we have dentists or hairdressers or masseurs or what, you know, who is available helping us. But between those, we see an average of uh, 500 to 1,000 people come to Christ in one two-week period, and we do two a year. So that's one to 2,000 people coming to Christ a year. And um, as I said, two or three churches result from this every year. It's not just a bunch of numbers. I know yeah. you've also done a lot of ministry in China. Tell us uh, about your work yeah. you've been doing there. I lived for 20 years in China, and I would just say that I was in a grace bubble because we, we had openly practiced um, for the last 10 years. We planted an international church. Most of the attendees were locals, 
and uh, we uh, operated openly. We had we had our logo on our window, which is a cross and a, and a book and a dove, and we we had a website. Uh, we would do beach baptisms. I'm off to do one today, by the way. <laughs> but uh, we had up to 20 people baptized at one time. We do baptisms every spring and, and, and autumn and sometimes in between. But we'd average, I'd say, about 12 people per time. And when we had worship concerts on the beach, we'd hand out tracks. It was a period of time that we really had a period of grace and favor. A lot of people were very surprised and startled at what we were doing. But it was just following God step by step. We never tried to affront or confront or anything like that. We just followed God. It's wonderful to hear, you know, Thailand, China, you know, the, yeah. I know you've been to Myanmar, you know, many nations yeah. you've been preaching yeah. the gospel, doing these medical missions. You've also got a right. passion to work for the homeless uh, around Brisbane. Yeah. Uh, you and I have yes, worked together so. at the uh, the King's right. Table Soup Kitchen and you've been doing Bible right. studies there and going out yeah. to the shelters. Tell us a bit about why yeah. you're so passionate about that in, in Australia. I guess to me, it was, you know, one of the things I would say, if, if I were to write a plan, if I were to write a story of my life, someone would, would make it into a plan, but it's never a plan. It's just following God step by step. When I came, I was a bit like a fish out of water because I came back here, not really retiring or furloughing or anything like that, but because of my kids' education. And I really felt like a, like a fish out of water. I, I really didn't fit in. 35 years away, that's a long time. Mm. More of my life spent in Asia and I missed the food. I, I mean, not the food, really, the people, the culture, the, the hunger for God. And so I got involved um, with your ministry uh, at King's Table. And uh, I just felt a click. I just felt, wow, I can be here and these people are responsive to the gospel and people would get saved every week. We started the after-service Bible study, uh, having up to 12 people coming. And some of those people have moved on. Now they were employed, they're married, they've got kids, you know. Um, and I'm just, just continuing with that and seeing it develop and now being um, one of the key contact points where, where we're starting shelter ministries. We've ministered about 20 shelters. And we have Bible studies in about five. We want to get Bible studies in all the shelters. Key to anyone listening in Brisbane that has a burden for this, contact <laughs> me on that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, mate, it's been yeah. incredible to hear uh, about your, your conversion story, the, your ministry yeah. in China and Thailand and, and among the nations. Uh, if people want to do Thanks find God. out more about your ministry, have you got a website you can direct them to? Uh, we don't have a very operative website. We've got a blogspot.com. Yep. I'm on Facebook. All right. Well, um, but yeah, contact contact through the ministry, and then the ministry could give them my email address, and we'll we'll, we'll connect directly. And we we are not a closed um, network. Uh, we we're open to people coming on overseas wish, missions with us. We also go to Laos and Cambodia and Myanmar with medical missions. And uh, as I said, you got a heart for the lost. You want to minister in a country that's one percent Christian. Wow, there's a lot of people that need Jesus, and they're just just a flight away and God will provide you the money I'll translate for you don't worry you just have to have a passion <laughs> a passion <laughs> awesome well Pastor Chris Bowman it's been so good to uh, hear your story today I reckon you're a history maker thanks for joining us thanks Pastor Matt you are too love you in Christ God bless you if you'd like to hear this conversation again listen online anytime at historymakersradio.com you'll also find links to all of our social media channels and you can subscribe to our iTunes podcast History Makers is a faith-based ministry, and we want to thank everyone for their generous support. If you've got a suggestion of anyone we should interview, send us an email, info at historymakersradio.com. God bless. I'm Matt Prater, and my challenge to you now is to go and make history. 
This year is the 50th anniversary for the Bible League. They're celebrating all that God's done in their ministry and they're praying into all that He's going to do in the next 50 years. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to His power that's at work within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. If you'd like to support the Bible League as they reach the generations to come, go to BibleLeague.com.au. Station sponsor.